to me, it's, you know, all the research that comes out is conclusive that plant-based diets are, are the best diet for health. And I mean, you know, in 2015, processed meat was labeled as class one carcinogen. And that means that it is cancer causing. It's, it's in the same bracket as cigarettes, yet there are no health warnings on processed meat like there are on cigarettes. So it's people, and many people aren't aware of it. They, they just don't know. And I think we're failing people and failing their health not to warn them. And we've had so many patients come through on plant-based health online who were not plant-based when they, when they came to us, but are now completely whole food plant-based. And they've noticed huge improvements in their health. Their blood pressures have reduced significantly. Their cholesterol has come down. We've had patients who have put their type 2 diabetes into remission with a plant-based diet. Hey everyone, this is Andrew from Creating a Vegan World. And in this interview, I spoke to Lisa Simon, who is a registered dietitian based out of the United Kingdom that talked about finding the right nutritional advice when you switch to a vegan whole foods plant-based diet. So there's a lot of information out there from people who are Instagram influencers, YouTubers, bodybuilders, and they might even be a nutritionist who doesn't have all the information such as a registered dietitian or a plant-based medical doctor. So really insightful interview, learning a lot about, learning more about what nutrition to take when you wanna improve your eating habits. So I'm looking forward to sharing this interview with you. Yeah, so I've been a dietitian for, well, I qualified in 2014 um, and I worked for the NHS um, during that time. And I, I still work for the NHS now. I do a weekly gastro clinic. So I specialised in gastro five years ago. Um, but I left my full-time post at the end of 2019 to focus more on freelance work. And it was around that time I, I got into plant-based nutrition. So I got into it when I was going through fertility treatment myself um, through IVF um, and we, we now have a, a two-year-old as a result of that um, but I decided to specialize in, in plant-based nutrition specifically in um, optimizing uh, male and female fertility um, as well as gastroenterology so I work for plant-based health online currently so that's the majority of my work um, and we're the first uh, CQC registered UK um, online plant-based health company. So it's, it's really exciting. That's great. So what type of work do you do specifically? Is it uh, like Zoom calls with clients where you tell them what types of foods to eat, what to cut out and things like that? Well, we're, yeah, so we're, we're fully online. Um, so we use a platform called HeyDoc and we, we see patients with a variety of conditions. So they could have chronic health conditions um, they might just want to transition to a more plant-based diet and they just need some help and and evidence-based advice and we give practical um, advice as well but we're a lifestyle um, medicine company so we don't just focus on diet we focus on all the other pillars of lifestyle medicine so getting you know, restorative sleep looking at stress management techniques physical activity personal relationships and the avoidance of um, toxic substances so including alcohol that's great. Yeah, and I think I mentioned by email where pretty much framing up this interview, I just interviewed Dr. Esselstyn about yeah. plant-based diets, how he reverses heart disease and lowers cholesterol. And one of the things he said mainly is in medical schools, 
they don't have enough nutrition education as he sees fit. And I did some research after where it's only maybe like 25 hours. So as part of my creating a vegan world documentary and YouTube channel, I just want to get the word out there to see like what nutritionists and dietitians are doing to help make sure people know what to eat. Cause from my personal experience, I forgot if I told you, I went to a GP, I had high cholesterol triglycerides and his solution was hand me a prescription medication. And he didn't give me any advice about my diet, my exercise. I had to turn to Google. And of course there's good information on Google. And of course there's misleading. So looks like your profession. Yeah. A lot of misleading information out there. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And it's, it's difficult because I suppose when you go and see your doctor and when you see a GP here, you only have a 10 minute slot and there's, there's no time to discuss anything in depth in, in 10 minutes. But as, as dietitians, we're you know, in the prime position to educate um, people on, on sustainable diets and not just for health, but for the environment as well. But even when I was... Um, you know, in, in university that I don't remember there being any classes on plant-based diets or sustainable diets. And we were taught very much that meat and dairy, are the best sources of protein and calcium and various other nutrients. And when you look at the diet sheets that are given to patients in hospitals, the, the main focus is on the patients who need to gain weight because the majority of patients that we see in hospitals are for weight gain rather than, you know, helping them to lose weight is fortifying food with cheese and cream and you know whole milk and all the those sorts of foods so that there was very little emphasis on plant-based sources of of these things but I think things are changing and you know we're just there's so many passionate people out there who are promoting the plant-based um message that's that's it's it's a going to be a long process I think but we we are getting there that's amazing. Yeah, I've been vegan for close to four years and um, mostly junk food vegan, transitioning to more whole foods, plant-based. And I think one of the questions I want to ask you is, you kind of touched upon this when we're emailing is, is there an ideal diet for people? And you said certain people with like IBS, they can't take a certain type of whole foods, plant-based diet right away. So is there like an ideal diet or how is it individualized, things like that? So for my gastro patients, it's it's very different to the advice you give for, for the general population who don't have you know any underlying problems. So with IBS and most gastro conditions are, are because you have a, a less diverse, less healthy gut microbiome. So you you have to go slowly. And a whole food plant-based diet is, is completely achievable with IBS and, and inflammatory bowel disease, but you need to do it very carefully. And you don't just suddenly go from having very little fiber in your diet to packing in you know, 30 grams of fiber a day, um, as the general recommendations are. You have to go slowly. And with, with inflammatory bowel disease, it very much depends as well whether you're in flare-up or whether you're in remission, because when you're in flare-up, you have to follow a low-fibre diet because you have to rest your bowel. And if you suddenly throw in a load of fibre, you're going to cause yourself possible blockages and strictures, and you know those can be life-threatening. So it has to be done under the supervision of a, of a dietitian in, in those situations. But for the, the general population, um, you know, a whole food plant-based diet is, is the best diet for health. It's full of nutrients, it's full of fibre, phytochemicals, antioxidants, and um, all the food groups there. And I think what people 
don't realize is that it's not what you call a, a, a diet. You know, it's not an exclusion diet. It's actually inclusion. It's including as many different foods, whole foods as, as you can. Um, and that, you know, there's no deprivation there. You don't feel like you're missing out on anything. And, and the focus, I don't focus on weight loss when you look at um, adopting a whole food plant-based diet because I think that's damaging. It's not conducive to health. It's about eating as much as you want. And it's very hard to, to overeat on, on this kind of a diet because it's so full of fiber and it, you know, it, it causes you to, to, be, to be full um, and you, you're never hungry on this kind of a diet. Absolutely. And is there, I know there's a lot of fears when people transition about not getting enough adequate nutrition. So there's the big ones like protein, omega-3s, iron, zinc, yeah. things like that. Can you uh, talk about yeah. that? Can you get adequate nutrition? I know doctors recommend B12 supplements and outside of that, anything else? Yeah, I mean, you have to have a B12 supplement um, because there aren't you know adequate sources of B12 on a um, plant-based diet. But it's a common misconception that you will put yourself in nutri your nutrient deficiency. And I've had it said to me many, many times and by healthcare um, professionals as well, that I'll be deficient in iron and omega-3 and calcium and various other nutrients. But actually vegetarians and vegans have not been shown to have, um, to be more at risk of iron deficiency than any other um, you know, meat eaters or any other diet patterns. They have been shown to have lower iron reserves, but actually that's that's a positive thing. And there was a, a meta-analysis systematic review, I think 2012, that looked at the harmful effects of having too much iron in your diet. And with heme iron, which is the iron in animal products, you absorb it much better than non-heme iron, but actually you absorb it too much. And once your body has absorbed the iron, it has limited capacity to excrete it. And heme iron is pro-inflammatory. So it causes oxidative stress in the body, which leads to inflammation and that damages cells and DNA. Whereas with non-heme iron, our bodies are really clever at regulating how much we absorb. So um, if our iron reserves are low, then we absorb more non-heme iron. If our iron reserves are plentiful, then we don't absorb as much. So it's really clever and it doesn't do that with heme iron. So the best source of iron is via um, vegetarians and, and, and vegan diets. And actually some of the studies in, in the review found a link between too much iron and an increased risk of, of type two diabetes. So I would always say, um, get, your, get your iron from vegetarian sources, but you have to be aware as well that iron deficiency anemia is the most common nutritional deficiency in the world amongst any food um, eaters. And you need to be aware that with, with non-heme iron, there are certain things that can reduce absorption. So you just need to avoid having tea and coffee with your meals, alcohol, um, calcium as well. So if you're on calcium supplements, then don't have them at the same time as your meals. And just put lots of vitamin C foods with your meals to help you absorb this as well. So for your breakfast, if you're having porridge, pile on the berries on top or have you know lots of different colorful fruit and vegetables with your um, other meals as well. Um, and with omega-3, as you were saying, it's, it's actually, it's funny because the source of omega-3 is algae. And that's why fish and oily fish especially have um, a such good source of omega-3. 
that when you eat, when you're eating fish, you're having microplastics, you're having all the pollutants that go in that are in the seas and the oceans, and they're getting worse. Um, and we know that omega three is important for health. We know it's important for brain health. And there was a um, meta analysis last year actually that looked at thirteen randomized control trials, and they found that omega threes are have a role in primary prevention as well as secondary prevention of, of cardiovascular disease. So you can get omega-3s in the diet, in a plant-based diet. So you get them in the form of ALA, which is the parent omega-3, and then your body converts it into EPA and DHA, which are the important omega-3s. And you can have chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, walnuts. They're the, the most commonly known sources. But personally, I recommend a supplement as well because you can't rely solely on, on the food sources. And the main reason is if your diet is high in omega-6, which many plant-based diets are because omega-6 is in everything, they compete for absorption with omega-3s and they win. And they can reduce the absorption of omega-3s by, or reduce the conversion, sorry, to EPA and DHA as much as 50%. So there's no set um dose of omega-3 but i always recommend between three and five hundred milligrams a day but there are studies that have shown up to a thousand milligrams have have benefits as well that's amazing just hearing you speak that reiterates the finding things on google versus going to someone who has done the research and knows what they're talking about because back with the iron i just know there's the levels but the heme versus non-heme and like having too much definitely interesting to learn yeah, it's quite it's quite complicated, and it's it's that's why it's so important to always go to someone who's qualified. Um, and it's a good idea actually at this point to say the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist. So there are registered nutritionists who are brilliant, and we we have one at Plant Based Health Online. But there are also people who have done a twenty four hour course online, and they can call themselves nutritionists because it's not regulated. Whereas as a dietitian, I had to train for four years um, to qualify. And then of course you train and you, you're continuously training and um, specializing as you go along then as well. So it's really important to go to the right person and check because you can check the register yourself to make sure they are they are on there. That's great. Is the same type of setup in the US and the EU? I believe you're in the UK, so I'm from the US. So there's everything's registered in those big countries? Yeah. Yes, it's Great. really important to, to see someone who's registered. So a lot of people, they switch to a vegan diet, hearing that vegan is better for your health, animals, the environment, the latter two, of course, we'd see that, but there's yeah. plant-based and then there's vegan. So is vegan healthy in itself? And what's the difference between vegan and plant-based? There can be a big difference. And, and sometimes they're exactly the same. So I consider myself a whole food plant-based vegan because I'm vegan for animals and the environment and I'm plant-based for health. But I mean, the standard vegan diet, it can be very heavily processed. So there's a huge growing vegan market now, which is brilliant, but unfortunately, a lot of the foods are still high in saturated fat and salt and sugar. And a lot of them contain coconut oil, which is which has more saturated fat than lard. And it's often seen as a health food, but actually it isn't. It's, it's, it's really quite bad for your health. Um, and has the same effects on your body as, as other saturated fats. So as a vegan, you can, um, you know, you're eliminating animal products, which is great. So you're doing at least some benefits to your health, but unfortunately some swap a processed meat diet for a processed vegan diet, which isn't the best 
um, the best option. So a whole food plant-based diet, on the other hand, eliminates all animal products, but it focuses on whole grains and fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and legumes. And all of those foods um, have been shown time and time again to, to have the best outcomes for, for health. Great. And I remember when I spoke to Dr. Esselstyn, it's some of the forks over knives, or I think might be in his book, he recommends avoiding things like avocados. I'm not sure because of the saturated fat. That's He probably works with people with heart disease. Are you familiar with along those lines? Yeah, and I, I, I'm, I don't follow that advice personally. I think if you have if you have established heart disease or if you are overweight or obese, then reducing the fat content of your diets is, is a good idea because it's so energy dense. But I still wouldn't recommend a low fat diet because your body needs fat for so many different functions. And it's especially important for women of reproductive age to have enough um, predominantly unsaturated fats in their diet. And for, for, you know, for most people, because your brain needs unsaturated fats as well. So I always recommend to have a good source of unsaturated fat with most meals um, for the majority of my patients. So that would be avocados or tahini, nuts and seeds, those kind of things. And, and some people find that eliminating oil is helpful if they're trying to lose weight because it's very energy dense and doesn't really have any other nutritional value. Um, I don't recommend as a blanket rule to cut out oil because I think that extra virgin olive oil has some health benefits, um, but it's very much on a one-to-one -one basis. So for your industry that you work in, what limitations are there in order to create the ideal world of healthier people, vegan world, plant-based? What restrictions are in place and what does your industry need in order to grow and impact as many people as possible? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult one. And uh, as I said earlier, things are changing. So the British Dietetic Association have, have published their One Blue Dot policy, which looks at the importance of sustainable diets and the important roles that dietitians have to, to help people make those changes. Um, and they do say in that, that that sustainable diets are going to become part of, of the curriculum in our degrees. So as I said, when I was there, it wasn't. And, but I'm hoping that now at least they're starting to introduce those modules in. And they have created a plant-based um, diet fact sheet as well, which, which is fairly new. So you can go to the BDA and, and have a look at all of these fact sheets um, for, for free. There are problems in that there are lots of politics involved. So we had a couple of incidents recently. We had a, a, a major cancer charity a couple of years ago who were promoting meat-free and they were they had to pull their campaign because they were told that funding from the meat and dairy industry would be pulled if they didn't. So they had to, they bowed down to that pressure. And also recently a, a children's program here called Blue Peter, they were promoting um, meat-free diets for children. And again, they, they pulled that campaign because of pressure from, from the meat and dairy industry. So it's that side of things, it's really difficult to overcome. But I think as a profession, we are definitely um, realizing the benefits of a more plant-based diet and, and the health implications of, of um, meat, especially red and processed meats. Great. And this, I didn't put on the questions there, but pretty much I've been, like I said, I've been vegan for four years. You're plant-based where sometimes we're in an echo chamber and we hear 
like this is the best information and i always try to challenge my own beliefs just to see outside the box so people might say is whole food plant-based the best and like you said there's the legislation or the lobbying by the meat and dairy industries um i guess my question is the research so is there a lot more research being done now that promotes it and is there anything going against what we promote Oh, there's research coming out all the time. And to me, it's, you know, all the research that comes out is conclusive that plant-based diets are, are the best diet for health. And I mean, you know, in 2015, processed meat was labeled as class one carcinogen. And that means that it is cancer-causing. It's, it's in the same bracket as cigarettes, yet there are no health warnings on processed meat like there are on cigarettes. So it's people... And many people aren't aware of it. They, they just don't know. And I think we're failing people and failing their health not to warn them of these, of these risks. And the government should be, it should be mandatory that these labels are on, on processed meats as they are on cigarettes. And at least then you give, people might still buy them, but at least you're giving them the choice um, of, you know, whether they buy them or not. But in terms of, you know, as I said, there, there are just so many benefits of, of a whole food plant-based diet. Um, and they've been linked to a reduced incidence of many chronic diseases. So you'd be looking at um, type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease, dementia, 13 different types of cancers are caused, um, are associated with poor diets and lifestyle as well. So, following, if everyone follows a whole food plant-based diet, the disease burden would be massively reduced. And actually in the one blue dot policy, they're estimating that overweight and obesity, which is increasing every day, that that's going to cost the NHS about 9.7 billion pounds a year by 2050. And overweight and obesity are caused by poor diets and poor lifestyle habits. So addressing that would create you know would reduce that financial burden and also the financial burden of, of the individuals because if you're ill you can't go to work you, you don't you often don't get paid um you know it, there's a huge burden there i know in the united states the health insurance is different than from here in australia now in the uk where the monthly yeah. premiums go up because it has to pay for everyone getting sick i forget who i spoke with it's not a medical professional but they are saying how places like China and India, lower income countries, where they start eat, income keeps going up, they eat more meat, eat more dairy, and then they start developing like Western sicknesses like diabetes and things that didn't exist in certain places before. So in my eyes, yeah. at least that's evidence for what we're talking about. Yeah, it is. And, and there have been studies that have been shown when um, diets are swapped as well. So when you take a very unhealthy population and swap them with with population that follows a healthy diet the gut microbiome of, of the previously healthy participants changed changes within a very very short space of time and the i mean the gut is is just central to health if you have a poor gut microbiome poor diversity in your gut which is which is caused by poor diets it affects every single system in your body so optimizing that gut microbiome is the most important thing. And the only way you can do that is by eating more fiber from plants.
Is there certain foods you'd recommend more than others? Is like fermented foods like cabbage with probiotics? Is that a big thing or? Um, yeah, so I, I don't recommend any one food over another, but I say to include as many different foods as you can. And that includes fermented foods. So I'm a big fan of kimchi and sauerkraut. Um, and they're, you know, they're brilliant additions to have in your diet. I'm also a big fan of sprouting as well. So I sprout broccoli seeds and, and chickpeas and beans and, and, and various things that, that you can. So I'll sprout anything you, <laughs> that you can sprout. And that increases the ability the bioavailability of all of the minerals that are in there and makes the protein more digestible as well. And there are loads of videos on, on how you can sprout if you haven't done it before. It's amazing. I've eaten sprouting, what is it, almonds before? I haven't done it myself, yeah. but I purchased them from a little farmer's market in South America and somehow it's just a better taste. It's not as hard and crunchy, it's more soft and just even tastes better yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm a massive fan. But I'd say if, if you if you are pregnant, that's the only caveat. Or if you have a um a weakened immune system, then just cook them. Don't don't eat them raw because you can introduce bacteria when you're sprouting at home. Definitely. And kind of wrapping up, I think I asked all the questions I wrote down here, but I'll probably go back to that. But um pretty much where can people go for more information? Let's say they just got diagnosed with high cholesterol, hypertension, diabetes. IBS or something, or even just somebody who wants to eat healthier and they want to get the right information, not from Google. Yeah, well, it's, it's important, as I said, to if you're on social media, to follow health professionals who use evidence-based um, information. Don't follow influencers and personal trainers and, and people like that who are giving advice, who, who are giving the wrong advice. You can also book an appointment with us at Plant-Based Health Online. So we have... Um, doctors and a nutritionist and myself there and obviously we we are all highly trained and, and qualified there's also plant-based health professionals um uk so you can find them at plantbasedhealthprofessionals.com and they have a range of resources and fact sheets so i've written a fertility one and co-written a um, fact sheet on bone health and there are lots and lots of different resources on there that that are really helpful that are free as well Awesome. I'll put the link in the description of the video. Yeah, that'd be great. And um, our website's plantbasedhealthonline.com as well. Okay. So for people who are listening to what you're saying, they might be interested in a career helping others. Like you said, there's Instagram influencers and weightlifters who might not have the depth of knowledge. So they might want a career as a registered dietitian. So what route would they take? What process do they go through? And different things along those lines with career opportunities as well. Yeah, so when I when I was training, so we, you have to have a science A level to, to start because it's very obviously it's very anatomical and, and there's lots of chemistry and uh, biochemistry in there as well. And I didn't have any of that. So I had to do an access course. So I did that for a year and then you go into the degree. So when I was studying, it was four years, but I think they've reduced it now to three. So you have um, three clinical placements. So you have the first placement, which is basically just observing and, and getting involved if you want to, but that's the shortest one. And then you have two more clinical placements that you have to pass um, to then move forward. And when you have your last clinical placement, you have to pretty much be up and running as a, as a band five dietitian. So when you qualify, you go in as band five. So you do general dietetics um, and then you specialize um, and go further up the bands after you've, you've been there for a while. 
Um, but it's a, it's an amazing profession and I highly recommend it. I absolutely love being a dietitian and we're very, we are regulated. So you know that you can trust that, you know, what we're saying is, is the right advice. Um, and as I said, we have to be registered and we have to have insurance as well to, to practice. Definitely. And what types of, I guess, work do they do is work for a company like yours in a hospital and like what other options are there? So you can either go into the acute setting. So, I mean, when you're training, you have to, um, and you can, um, you can do inpatient work. You also do outpatient work. So running clinics um, for various conditions, and then you decide that you want to specialize. So you can specialize in whatever area that, that most, um, you have the most interest in but there are also dietitians that work in the community and um, in public health um, you know there's, there's lots of different career opportunities in dietetics you can also be uh, freelance but I wouldn't recommend you go freelance until you've had at least five years experience in the NHS because when you're freelance you're on your own you don't have that support um, or accountability really as much as you do when you're um, working with you know a group of, of other dietitians and it can be quite isolating as well so you need to be completely confident that you know what you're doing um, when you go freelance but yeah there are you can be a writer as well go into research um, lots of different different jobs you can have great yeah I could back up and need the experience first because when the university I volunteered as an EMT and just I thought I knew everything when I completed my training then I volunteered yeah. with all the paramedics that went around me and I just realized I didn't know anything. So getting your experience, definitely good first. And I know you mentioned Absolutely. that, I know you mentioned the fertility. So I guess we'll put a section on that. So when it comes to fertility, how does a plant-based diet help in that area? Oh, it helps. There's, there's so many different mechanisms. So when you're eating, um, a diet with meat and dairy in it there can there can be lots of effects on the body so for example you're having heme iron which is inflammatory you're having um things called ages so advanced glycation m products and they're in um all animal products but but really high in things like um dry cooked meats so when you barbecue or you grill or you fry um meat you know that brown layer that forms that's the ages forming. And what, that, what they do is they go into your body, they attach to receptors in your body, and there are receptors around the ovaries and in the womb as well. And if they attach to the ones in the ovaries, they can cause early ovarian aging. And if they attach to the ones in the womb, especially in overweight women, then they can cause this inflammatory cascade and actually stop the embryo from implanting. So by eliminating those foods and focusing on the anti-inflammatory foods that don't cause the inflammation in the body then all of those things aren't happening and there are also essential nutrients in in the diet that that are important for fertility so things like non-heme iron and um, zinc um, you know range of vitamins and minerals and there's data from the nurses health study too that show that replacing 25 grams of animal protein with 25 grams of plant protein can actually reduce the risk of ovulatory infertility by 50%, which is huge. And also there's data showing that, that women with lower um, heme iron intakes and higher non-heme iron intakes have higher levels of, of fertility. And it's really important to involve the men in the conversation as well, because 
male factor infertility now accounts for 50% of infertility, which, you know, it's, it's, it's increasing over the years. And sperm can be really easily damaged. It's really easily damaged by oxidative stress in the body, which is created by um, diet and, and lifestyle. So you're looking at, again, animal products, pollution, um, and that's you know outside and also in the home. BPA as well has been known to, to affect fertility. So there's, I mean, there's so much to say about it, but, but basically the consultation with me would involve looking at the diet in detail, seeing if there are any nutritional deficiencies and really focusing on reducing the amount of, of animal products in the diet and preferably eliminating them completely. And I've actually just written a, a fertility update, a clinical update, which has been published this month. Um, it might arrive today, actually, um, in Dietetics Today magazine. So I'm looking forward to seeing that in print. Awesome. As soon as you get that, send it to me and I'll include it here. I will do. You mentioned plant-based diet helps with this. So is there a general time frame for when people can see results? Is it something they do for six months or does it take longer to clear up is that I don't know if that's the right word yeah so I mean the longer the better but the, the really important time is three months before you start trying for a baby so the preconception period because it takes three months for the sperm to develop around three months and the same for the egg to mature so a woman is born with all of the eggs she will ever have so you can't grow more eggs as you can with sperm but it's it's during that maturation process that that is the important uh, time so as soon as possible, but within those, you know, within those three months before you start trying to conceive is, is the most important time. Great. And when the mother is pregnant during the pregnancy, somebody asked me, is there any research done as far as babies that are born when the mother is on plant-based diet completely, where the traditional thing is probably against it? I don't know if there's any research or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think there's a common worry that if you're plant-based and pregnant, your baby's not going to get the nutrients it needs. But again, as long as your diet is well-planned and balanced and varies, and you're taking the right supplements. Um, so every woman should take folic acid anyway, during the preconception and the first three months of pregnancy, and then having good folate intakes throughout pregnancy. And certain requirements increase. So calcium increases from 700 milligrams a day to 1,000 milligrams. But again, that's easily achieved as long as you're having fortified milks and fortified yogurts and you're having calcium set tofu is a brilliant um, source of calcium so you've got about 350 milligrams in 100 grams of calcium set tofu so that's a good chunk towards your your needs um, and yeah as long as you're having all of those you know a balanced diet then you're not going to put your baby at, at risk of nutritional deficiency and actually there's there's something that, that happens during pregnancy called fetal programming. And if the mother is overweight and following a, a less healthy diet, that can permanently alter um, the metabolism of the child and put them more at risk of, of chronic disease when they're older. So following a healthy, balanced, whole food, plant-based diet is not just good for yourself as a mother, but also for, for your developing baby. Great. And earlier in the interview, whether it's with fertility, IBS, or general health, you've mentioned there's an approach that's not just about the diet. There's also other things. You said the word pollution that triggered in my mind before. So lifestyle, environmental, what other factors do you do with your work? 
Um, so all of those pillars of lifestyle medicine, so stress is a major contributor to a lot of problems and especially gastro problems as well. And if you're stressed, your, your IBS will get worse, your, your inflammatory bowel disease might flare up. And there've been a, a big increase in um, flare ups over lockdown, for example, because it's such a stressful, it's been such a stressful time. And the same with fertility, stress can really impact fertility. So I very much focus on um, stress management with my patients and sharing my own personal stories as well, because I found having gone through IVF myself and having experienced infertility, I know how stressful it is. I know how it can impact on your relationship as well. Um, and especially when you're going through treatment, your hormone levels are all over the place. You can just, you can be calm one minute and turn into this raging, crazy person the next minute. So techniques I found really helpful when I was going through it is it was laughter therapy. So finding something that makes you laugh. So either a comedian or watching friends or something on television that, that just makes you laugh. You can't be anxious and stressed when you're laughing. So I think that's a really important um, thing you can do. And also meditation and breathing exercises. And there are lots of channels um, on YouTube. So there's one called The Honest Guys that I always recommend. Um, and they take you through kind of small guided meditations. And anything you can do to just reduce those stress levels, positive visualization is another really helpful technique. Um, so we discuss all of those things during during the consult. So it's it's certainly not just diet focused. Great. Yeah, I think I listened to the honest guys. They have like a candle meditation one that I listened to. And remember when I was many years ago, I was building a business and then I was facing a lot of struggles and I had stress. And I learned a thing called the emotional freedom technique. Not sure if you yeah. heard of that, but like you tap certain meridian points while you focus on stress, and it yeah. just you could go from 10 out of 10 to zero really quickly. And that's personally something that really helped me. So yeah, anything like that is, is beneficial. Um, and meditation is one of the most evidence based methods of, of relaxation as well. It can reduce your blood pressure um, and just really reduce overall anxiety. Okay. So you're doing all this work, obviously to solve problems in the world. So what would the world look like when your work is done and everyone is exactly how you want it to be <laughs> that would be a very different world wouldn't it mm -hmm. so what it looks like now um i think all we can do is is spread you know the message as, as widely as we can give the education give the evidence-based information and at the end of the day people will do what they want to do but at least if if they're informed and they know you know, they have the right choices, then I think a lot of people would want to follow that route. And, and we've had so many patients come through on plant-based health online who were not plant-based when they, when they came to us, but are now completely whole food plant-based. And they've noticed huge improvements in their health. Their blood pressures have reduced significantly. Their cholesterol has come down. We've had patients who have put their type 2 diabetes into remission with a plant-based diet because the main risk factor for type 2 diabetes is being overweight and obese. And when that happens, your insulin can't get into the cells properly to control your blood glucose levels and, and you, know, you, you end up with type 2 diabetes. So weight loss is absolutely key. And people will say that they've been on diets on and off for 20 years and nothing's ever worked. They've lost weight, they've regained it, they've lost weight, they've yo-yoed and not felt particularly 
brilliance on those diets and they've started a whole food plant-based way of eating and without even thinking about it the weight's come off and it stayed off because they enjoy that way of eating they don't feel that they're restricted um, and they don't feel that they're you know they're denying themselves anything so I think whoever you come across who plant-based health professionals or anyone who follows a plant-based diet they are so passionate about what they do and what they how they educate and that's all we can do is just keep going and and hope that at some point that message you know gets across to to as many people as possible